I'm Kate Daniels. Aside from the pain and finality of death by suicide, there's such an incredible loss and waste. Dr. Mark Golston is one of the country's leading experts on suicide prevention and the co-creator of the new video podcast documentary, Stay Alive. Kevin Hines, whom we'll meet in a few weeks' time, is a suicide survivor, having jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. Together with Dr. Goulston, they are the voice of reason in a very crazy time. Dr. Goulston joins us now. Dr. Mark Goulston, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Well, good morning to you, Kate, and thank you for having me. Oh, I am just so grateful to you for being with us, for doing the work that you're doing, and helping to really make us much more aware and informed about what we can do about this tragedy that is taking too many lives, very often very young lives in our society, and that is through suicide. And you are a leading expert on this prevention, true? That is true. I did it for 30 years, yes. And you're saying did, but you're still... Well, well, no, well I, I don't do it one-on-one now. What I'm doing is I was a suicide prevention specialist. In fact, one of the leaders in the field, Dr. Ed Schneidman, a psychologist, just kept referring me still suicidal patients who needed to be discharged from the hospital, but they weren't acutely suicidal. And so I did that for about 30 years, and I had a pretty good track record. And I've only figured out in the last 10 or 15 years what it was that I was doing that seemed to help people choose life as opposed to choosing to die by suicide. And so I'm now bringing that out to stations like yours and through documentaries like Stay Alive, the one that uh, we'll be talking about, and trying to get some information out to people because something you're aware of and I'm aware of is we've never had more suicide awareness than we have now, and yet the numbers are going up. And that just seems totally illogical that that should be the case. So why is this happening? Do you have a handle on that? Well, I, I have my my own handle, uh, and, and you know, I'd be interested in you know what you think of this. My handle is that And I love technology. I love the Internet. But many, many years ago, there were certain things such as compassion, tenderness, patience, and lovemaking, which were pleasurable. And uh, I'm a neuroscientist, and what those things did is they boosted something in us called oxytocin. That's our bonding uh, hormone. That's what causes mothers to bond with their screaming uh, infants. And years ago... Uh, oxytocin closeness triggered something in us called dopamine, which is pleasure. But I think what's happened with the advent of technology, but especially the internet, is oxytocin that no longer triggers pleasure in us. It's adrenaline that triggers pleasure and dopamine. So what's happened is the internet has kind of addicted all of us to excitement and immediacy. It it seems like it takes too slow to tune in to someone who's in pain. We throw solutions at them. We give them advice. And I can tell you, you being an expert in depression and suicide, when someone is really locked down and, and they're just stuck way in the dark night of their soul, solutions and advice often don't get through. What they really need 
is they need to feel less alone in that awful place. And I think because of the Internet and technology, uh, many people are not uh, all that skilled in, in getting through to people and getting into where they're feeling so awful. And in fact, with the Internet, with all the different ways that people connect through that, there's a way that it probably makes a person or has the ability of making a person feel even worse. Oh, that's right. Now, now, look, I know that technology also connects people who are isolated and people can reach out and there's chat rooms and there's wonderful sites, you know, that help with suicide prevention. Uh, but the numbers are going up. And I think what it is, is when you get hooked on adrenaline and excitement as a way to feel pleasure, because oxytocin, tenderness, compassion is just too slow, what happens and anyone who is addicted to adrenaline, extreme athletes are, NBA players are, what they'll tell you, the only thing more powerful than an adrenaline rush is an adrenaline crash. And you can drop right off the excitement real quickly and go into a funk. And I think what's happened with a lot of our youth is they don't know how to deal with disappointment. And much of that is because many of our youth's parents uh, didn't want their children to feel disappointed. So you have the terms helicopter mom. Uh, uh, I think there's something called a snow thrower mom or parents who, who really step in and prevent children from developing resilience, mm-hmm. developing the ability to deal with disappointment without becoming devastated. So these are all critical things for us to really begin to grasp and see where we might find a path to the solution. Now, as you said, we are here to talk about these solutions, what we can do about this. And this video, this documentary, Stay Alive Now, is really so compelling and and filled with so much great information. Well, thank you. It's called Stay Alive, but the, it's hashtag Stay Alive Now to go find it. And if you go to YouTube, look up Stay Alive video, and it'll take you to the channel. One of the things that we brought out, and I think it helped me be more effective in dealing with people who were feeling suicidal, is that uh, there's something that I developed over the years called interventional empathy. And what that means is when someone has a wound in their psyche, their soul, their spirit, interventional empathy is like going into the wound and touching it with patience and tenderness. Uh, And if you go to the YouTube channel, we divide the documentary into eight episodes for easier viewing, or you can see the full documentary. And in chapter seven, I talk about something called The Seven Words, and I talk about that with Kevin Hines. Now, Kevin Hines jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, and he survived, and he is, he is just a force of nature preventing suicide. He speaks all around the world. He's energetic. He's uplifting. He saved many lives. And in that particular episode, and this is something if you're a parent, you can use with your teenagers, or you can use with a spouse who you're worried about. So Kevin's parents... And if you get into his story, you'll, you know, you'll find out that he was born to a, a home that was a crack house. And his adoptive parents totally loved him and supported him. 
way, way down deep, you know, when you're born into a, a crack house, you don't feel really secure going into the world. But in Chapter 7 of the documentary, we talk about the seven words. So this is, if you're listening in, what you can do if you're dealing with a, an adolescent who's sullen, who says, leave me alone, uh, I don't want to talk about it, get away from me. And often your response as a parent is, okay, okay, I'm sorry. You know, if you want to talk about it, you seem to be upset. And, uh, and here's how the seven words work. No matter what they say to you, don't back off and run away from them. Pause a couple seconds and then say to them, I, I know you don't want to talk about it, but seven words. And that's going to re-engage their curiosity because they're going to say, what? And you say, yeah, seven words. And they're going to say, what do you mean seven words? So you've re-engaged them. Uh, and Kate, and this is how you say the seven words, but the seven words should be inviting them to get some of their feelings out. And this is how you say it exactly this way. Hurt, afraid, angry, ashamed, alone, lonely, tired. And in that segment that I did that with Kevin Hines, and you'll see it in that, that chapter, chapter seven, I said that to him and he smiles and I said, pick one. And you know what he said when I said, pick one, he smiled, he said, all of them. But what you're doing is you're getting your teen and I got Kevin to be in the conversation. And when he said all of them, I said, pick one, pick the worst one. And, and then they'll engage, angry. Take me to when you felt the most angry and you couldn't handle it. Maybe three in the morning. And here's another thing that it, where interventional empathy works, which is which you, you touch the hurt and the wound. Uh, when you can get someone to describe a scene that you as the listener can see through your eyes, they re-experience the feeling. So, if instead of saying it was a rough night, you say, take me back to 2.30 in the morning, what happened? Well, well, I couldn't get to sleep, and I knew I had an exam the next day, and then I started hitting the pillow, and then I just couldn't get to sleep, and I couldn't slow my mind. And, and when you can, if you can get the person to start describing it in that kind of detail, they're feeling it again. But here's the deal. At 2.30 in the morning, when they felt it, they felt it alone. And their imagination started doing crazy things with them, made them think some awful thoughts. But as they're resharing it with you and re-feeling it with you, they're feeling it with you. So if, you, if you're tracking with me, Kate, as they're telling you the story and re-feeling it with you, they get a burst of this thing that we talked about earlier called oxytocin, meaning they felt less alone and uh after uh, I wrote, I wrote a blog uh, on Medium after Anthony Bourdain died by suicide, and I said, "Why people kill themselves? It's not depression." It had 500,000 views and 70,000 reads in six days. And what I talked about is that uh, that there's hundreds of millions of people that are depressed, maybe even a billion or more, but not all of them kill themselves. There's plenty of people who lose jobs or lose relationships, but not all of them kill themselves. So those factors contribute to it. But something that I have observed as a suicide prevention expert 
is that at the end, what they all feel is despair. And if you break the word despair into D-E-S-P-A-I-R, they feel unpaired, unpaired with hope, hopeless, helpless, powerless, worthless, useless, meaningless. And when they all line up, they feel pointless. And many people who are feeling suicidal, many teenagers, what happens is they don't want to kill themselves. They just want to make the pain go away. So they pair in their mind with death to give them relief. But if you as a parent can pair with them in their pain without letting your anxiety get the best of you and rushing all kinds of solutions at them, which mainly communicate to them that you don't know what to do. You're in over their head, your head, and they've made you anxious, and they've further made them feel that they're a burden to you. Uh, if, you can, if you can get with them in their pain and use that technique, and there's many more inside the, the documentary, uh, the technique like seven words, and they begin to share what they're feeling, you don't make them cry, you let them cry. And when they start to cry and you don't jump in with a solution, uh, you can actually feel them feeling better because they feel paired with you. Does that make sense, Kate? Absolutely, yes. And letting that emotion come out, because sometimes it's almost being emotionless. Maybe there's anger, but there, it's still a place of um, just really not connecting with emotion. So my feeling is the tears are, are really an important piece of being able to just kind of let go of that emotion that they that is keeping them kind of held back. Yeah, absolutely, and and uh, and leaning into the pain without a solution, without insight, without what you're going to do about it. Uh, pain needs comfort first, and if the pain is overwhelming, solutions don't get through. I heard someone say that pain is pain, suffering is feeling utterly alone in pain. And if you can take away the aloneness and the suffering, suffering that people can't live with becomes pain that they can. And that is where the empathy and compassion that you really talk about comes forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I think I was very fortunate uh, early on in my career because after I finished my training, I didn't work for anyone. I mean, I was out there. Dr. Ed Schneidman would refer uh, these still suicidal patients to me. And, and what I noticed early on is that when I was following a protocol, checking boxes, uh, gradually I could look into their eyes and I could see that the more that I was just making sure, how's your sleep? You know, how's your appetite? Uh, have you thought of killing yourself? The more I would be being very responsible and professional, I could detect that they were shutting down. What they were telling me in their eyes is, I'm running out of time and you're checking boxes. They didn't say that. And, then, and because 
I was fortunate that I didn't have to follow a protocol. I just had to help them. I dispensed with that, and I learned to just dive into where it hurts. And, and, my, and my mission to, uh, to lessen suicide prevention and what I'm trying to teach and coach parents about is if you can look into someone's eyes, look into your teen's eyes, and, and if you just listen only for hurt, fear, and anger, it's always there screaming at you. And if instead of being afraid of it, you bring up those, those three or you bring up the seven words, they'll start to talk to you about it. And initially, it'll feel awkward. You have no training in this. It scares you. But with time, you will begin to see how it relieves them. And if you rush in too soon with solutions and advice, you'll notice what I notice is they'll nod from the neck up. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Mom. Yeah, okay, Dad. But what you'll, what you'll feel is it didn't get through to them. Mm-hmm. So we need to just begin with practice. And, and the beginning is really seeing the video and getting that experience. So perhaps we feel somewhat more empowered or, or gain some confidence to be able to go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and, and plus, you know, join us. Join us uh, at the website. I'll tell you something also that I'd love to promote. Uh, I have 560,000 Twitter followers, and I have permanently pinned, and it's at Mark Goulston, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N. I have permanently pinned at the top a tweet that says, uh, have you ever known of or known someone in your community who died by suicide? Actually, I said committed suicide, and people slapped me on the wrist for that. And what's happened is it has 2.4 million impressions, over 1,400 comments. Uh, A third of the comments are my responding to people, but two-thirds of them, it's chilling. People just list all the people they've known who killed themselves. People also list the number of attempts they've made. Some people even say, uh, I will probably eventually do it. And it's a community. I'm not set up to be a clinic but I think it's saved lives. Well, people have told me, I've seen that in the comments, because I start directing people to reach out to people who have left comments and we haven't heard from them. And I encourage people, check in with those people. Say to them, are you okay? And it's saving lives. So if people can go to at Mark Goulston, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, it's a touch by suicide community and it's really a tough read, but if any of this speaks to you, you'll feel less alone. And as you say this, Mark, I feel that this is where technology really can be our friend because we can connect with the people who potentially have that much more understanding and empathy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in fact, you will listen to people who have been through what you've been through. And you won't listen to people who, who haven't been through it. And, I, you know, I, I think I've had chronic low-grade depression through my life. And I understand what it's like to just feel stuck in your head. And it defies reason sometimes. 
Although I must say, what triggers it in me, and I'm a work in progress, is you know my lifelong efforts to deal with disappointment. Now, for me, my disappointment is mainly in myself. I rarely get disappointed in others, but I get disappointed in myself. For instance, I get disappointed in myself that I wasn't helping enough people. You know, when I was seeing people one-on-one, there's a saying, I think it might be in the Torah, whoever saves one life saves the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to feel good about that because I saved more than a few, but I felt disappointed because as I looked out in the world, I saw people were not connecting empathically. People were putting lipstick on a pain, well-intentioned lipstick, but still lipstick. Yes. So here is much more than just that that surface coloring. Here is being able to really connect the people who can really uh, have more of that understanding and compassion. Uh, it feels as though out of what you were feeling you weren't doing enough, you really are, are making a huge difference. Well, so are you by having me on your show. <laughs> well, and perhaps that's it. We have to realize that each of us plays a part to just be awake to that of how we can connect to each other and, and share the information and look for that hope and look for that healing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, we really are uh, all in this together. I'll, I'll share an insight that also your listeners, I think, will find interesting because over the years I asked people, what what do we do that helps? And, and this is so poignant. I, I get a little emotional uh, each time I share it. What a number of them said is, you're the only person in my life who enjoys me. Mm-hmm. I put a smile on your face. And when you, you, you smile to see me when I would see you, sometimes I thought you, I'd look over my shoulder like, who are you looking at? And uh, and what you don't realize, doctor, is I am I'm a burden to everyone. I scare my parents, even though they say they're not. My brothers and sisters think I'm a manipulator, which I probably am. And I've seen a lot of mental health uh, professionals, and they are terrific, but, you know, they're professional. And they'll focus, are you taking the medicine? How are the side effects? And they go through that. And often because they're on a schedule and they work for an organization, sometimes they're typing it in on a computer as they're talking to you. And I remember one person said to me, you know, when you used to smile at me, I had this feeling and say to myself, I don't think he's lying to me, but I do think he's crazy. Mm. <laughs> and the reason I think it's so helpful is many people who feel suicidal feel like an incredible burden to the world. And during a dark night, 2.30 in the morning, when their imagination is wreaking havoc with them, you can understand why they're thinking, well, if I'm such a burden to everyone, including myself, maybe I'll just relieve everyone of that burden. And sometimes, too often, we know the suicide rate, they are successful in accomplishing that goal, and the world loses so much by that one person and these multiple people not being with us. 
Absolutely. And, and it forever changes your life as a parent. Uh, I do a podcast called My Wake Up Call. And I'm going to be starting one called Stay Alive, which will be at the Mental Health News Radio Network. They have 55 podcasts at the Mental Health News Radio Network. And I'll be starting one called Stay Alive, in which I'll be talking to people who have been touched by suicide, survived it, lost people. And recently in my other podcast, my it's called My Wake Up Call, where I speak to people about what really matters to them in life and how they got there. And one of my recent ones is with a fellow named Jason Reed, and it's chilling because Jay is a serial entrepreneur, and he has a TEDx talk called The Most Important Conversation You Can Ever Have with Your Teenager. And he's a serial entrepreneur, and what he talks about was being on vacation with his wife in Mexico, and they were having a great time thinking of how wonderful their family was and their future was going to be. And he gets a text message from his son, Ryan, and it says, don't blame yourself. I'm so sorry. Goodbye. And he screams. He calls home, and he finds his mother-in-law, and he screams, go find Ryan. And she runs around the house, and she goes up into the attic, and she screams back at him, Jay, he hung himself. And Ryan left two notes. And one note was, had all his password codes. And the other note was, tell my story. So Jay Reed has an organization called ChooseLife.org, and he's at the beginning of filming a movie called Tell My Story, and his personal mission now, which took a left turn forever, is to end teenage suicide by 2030, and I'm going to help him in any and every way I can. And that's where we come into. You are sharing with us such a wealth of resources and different places that we can find uh, connection and information and just become more informed because this epidemic really just needs to stop. We just cannot continue losing these lives so senselessly. We need to, as you tell us, Dr. Goulston, is find that compassion, that empathy, and where are, are we going to find this? L let's mention the Stay Alive video. So uh, you can go to stayalivevideo.com. That's the website, and you, you'll see the full uh, documentary there. Plus there's links to all kinds of resources uh, that you'll find there. If you go to YouTube and put in Stay Alive Video, and that'll take you to the Stay Alive video channel in which there are links to various videos from Kevin Hines and me unrelated to the video, but you'll see all eight chapters from Stay Alive. And there's also a link if you want to see the whole documentary in one chunk. We broke it up and Kevin and the other participant, a Japanese pop singer who's a suicide prevention advocate, Reiko, we make introductions to the eight episodes. So depending on how much you want to chew at any given time, we've made it something that's adaptable to you. Which is perfect. We can, yes, dive in as deeply as we want for this, take it a bit at a time, but we never know when this is going to perhaps help ourselves. It definitely will help us, but we may be able to save someone else's life. True? That is true. You know, something else I haven't mentioned because I want to keep the focus on the documentary. I'm the author of seven books, and I have a book called Just Listen, which became the top book on listening in the world. It's in 22 languages. And here's what frustrates me. 
I went to Moscow and spoke for six hours straight, just me one day, to managers from the Russian Federation, and none of them looked at their phones for six hours. And I was talking about empathy. You know, regardless of all the politics you hear about, the Russians' people are hungry for how to connect with each other. I mean, they're kind of like where America was after World War II in Manhattan. They're coming out and they're connecting with each other. And it was the most amazing and most receptive audience. In America, I don't get much interest in Americans wanting to learn how to listen because too many Americans want to be listened to. Oh, the irony. Don't you think the irony is just unbelievable? Truly. The thing that we really need, we are looking at the other side. We're looking beyond. So I am therefore so grateful to you. I wish we had more time, but we sadly don't. So I am grateful that we've been able to at least touch on this much, and you've given us direction as to all the websites that we can check on and just become that much more educated and informed ourselves. Dr. Goulston, thank you so greatly. Well, thank you for listening, and and I've been tracking you during our episode, and I can feel your passion for the subject. I mean, you've, you've gone from reporter to let's do something to make this better, and I'm glad you're aboard, Kate. Oh, absolutely. We need to not lose any more lives. Absolutely. That is true. Thank you so much for having me on, and thank you for listening.